What's up, everybody? This is Grant, a cause artist. Today, we were chatting with Sergio Fernandez de Cordova, and he has many titles <laughs> and is doing some uh, some pretty cool things in the world of working with government and uh, private companies to really develop smart cities uh, around the world and really trying to understand the landscape of what is a smart city? Uh, what does it take to, to actually create a smart city that is relevant to its citizens and it really provides some type of of added ability to to enable a city to to transform itself um, with all the technology coming to the forefront we talk about a lot of different things his time sort of in the initial smart smart city uh, space and, and how he used that uh, for social good uh, initially, and and how that has propelled him to be on all the 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 boards and 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 being advisor and chairmans and all these interesting things around the world. Uh, so I'll go through a little bit of, of what he's up to, and then we'll just get into the conversation. So he's the executive chairman of the Public Foundation, which is a foundation that engages with the governments, the White House, the United Nations, and using media to try to to enable social good across different verticals and formats, whether it's online, whether it's uh, smart billboards, really, really looking at the landscape of a city and say, how can we uh, use some of this, uh, some of this real estate, whether it's billboards or signage, things like that to for social impact and social good and, and really uh, allow um, companies and nonprofits that may not have the, the budget as others to get some of that prime real estate in, in cities to, to really bolster their mission um, and things like that. Um, he's also the chairman of P3 Smart City, um, which is his uh, which is his company. And then he's also the co-founder of the Blockchain Commission for Sustainable Development. He's on the advisory board of the United Nations Economic Commission for Europe. And he's also on the advisory board for Big Data uh, at Rutgers University. Um, so he has been involved in a lot of different things across the future of, of technology and how it impacts cities. So we talk a little bit about blockchain, talk a, a lot about, obviously, smart cities and, and what goes into that and, and try to define it in a way where we can all understand it especially especially me so it's a it's a really good uh, conversation if if you want to understand a little bit more about what's going on in the smart city realm and a little bit of how blockchain can help uh, cities really become a modern city and, and really be benefit to, to all the people living in it um, so hope you guys enjoy the conversation um, we'll see you next week. And as always, uh, you can reach out to me at grant at causeartist.com uh, or follow us at causeartist on all social media platforms. Have a great week um, and we'll talk next week and see you then. Bye. The first thing I like to do is um, have you kind of just explain your, your career path and, and what your passion is from a young age and, and how that carried you to to having all your hands in so many different things from from social innovation and social impact. Um, so just, just tell us about your, your journey up to this point. Well, thank you, sir. Start from uh, the early days. I guess uh, uh, this is a long one. I know we definitely don't have enough time for it, but I'll give you the cliff notes. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was born in Peru, came to America when I was nine. And, uh, you know, you were talking about sneakers before. And I uh, came to this country on vacation and told my mother I wanted to spend the rest of my life here. And, you know, one of the first things my mother said to me after spending a year here in the U.S. was, you know, if you want 
these special Puma sneakers. And I told her I was getting into fights with kids because I was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I had God knows what brand, but it wasn't Puma. And I was hot back then. She said, get a job, mm. buy it yourself. And, um, and so, uh, you know, at the age of um, 11, 12 years old, I started uh, delivering newspapers and uh, bought my own Commodore 64 by the time I was 12 <laughs> and uh, bought a program, came with a program called Print Shop. And uh, if you, anyone has had one of those back in the day, you're definitely old. And, uh, and I uh, definitely know what the Commodore 64, which then became the Commodore 128 was. And that was literally one of the original you know, early day computers. And, um, I use that to create the school newsletter, the school newsletter, excuse me. And, uh, which quickly, um, you know, my mother looked at it and she goes, why don't we just, why don't I help you and let's do this for the town, which quickly became the town newspaper. And, uh, for the next 25 years of my life went on to be in the newspaper space is one of the many entrepreneurial verticals of my life. At the peak of that newspaper career, we were the second largest uh, publisher in Northern Jersey, 250,000 publication over a collection of nine newspaper covers that we ended up rolling up together. And um, it was just, um, you know, it was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of community publications, but, uh, you know, kind of immediately going back to my early days, you know, the newspaper space, which is always, is part of my upbringing and part of my life. Uh, sure. uh, as an entrepreneur. And through that, I, I became a really a serial entrepreneur because I launched a media company and a bunch of other, you know, process of, of running a newspaper meant that you were doing logos, websites, as you know, the industry right. took off uh, in every aspect that a business would, would need. We had thousands of customers and, you know, started to kind of service every aspect of their need, became a sort of small boutique uh, uh, company. Um, you know, after college, I decided to do a couple of years on Wall Street, quickly realized it wasn't for me. It was a boys club and just didn't seem like this is where I wanted to kind of grow into. Mm-hmm. Just didn't didn't see my place in corporate America. Um, then, you know, kind of got out of that and went right into uh, being going back into my newspaper, but partnered up with a couple of friends to start a post-production graphic design shop where I brought in all my clients into the mix. And we went on to build a quickly successful but quickly doomed business with one client, and uh, that client was Hollywood Tans. And my partners, you know, were uh, 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 trying to leverage off of all of my relationships with the newspapers, but we only still had small clients and one major client. And uh, when that client left us, we mm-hmm. were left with with no business, and uh, basically told everyone that you know it was. We were going to shut down the business, and uh, if they wanted to stay and figure out what the next business venture was going to be, um, you know, happy to have them, but we couldn't pay them. And um, immediately, also decided to get into the media buying business because our clients said, "Hey, we'll give you a hundred thousand dollars to go out and spend the media buys. Why don't you figure out, you know, how you can make money from this?" And uh, that hundred thousand was supposed to be up to a million. I started to explore the outdoor advertising space, the billboard market, and just completely became fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. Being in the newspaper space, understanding that side of the business, I was just intrigued and, and looking at what that future would bring. And I, you know, I was looking at these billboards and saying, wow, these things will future um, are going to be digital. The future is going to be you know, sort of the digital streets and so forth. And 
you know, really want to get into it and started to explore the New Jersey and New York marketplace. Realize New Jersey, you can't put any billboards up, period. But in New York, the laws, you know, really, uh, uh, you know, had special zoning districts and so forth and quickly started to read the real code of New York and just became fascinated with the legal infrastructure of the billboard marketplace and the opportunity to evolve it. We started a billboard business officially, formally in 2003. And um, by 2005, after launching our business and, and doing about $5 million worth of revenue in the first nine months of uh, booked revenue, excuse me, in the first nine months of business, we were approached by a hedge fund by the name of Oxif and said, what do you want to do when you grow up? <laughs> and, uh, you know, said, you know, we want to build a national business. We want to, you know, change the laws. And, um, you know, of course, everyone's like, you're insane. You'll never do it. And they they liked it because they saw our approach already and we were making money. And, uh, and they were already invested in the public markets in the Clear Channel, Lamar, et cetera. And uh, so we we basically signed a, a uh, you know, sort of an exit in, of the business and a reinvestment uh, to raise $500 million, but to really build a platform to grow the company nationwide. And uh, for the next, you know, we closed that deal on December 31st, 2005. And for the next 14, 17 months, 14 months, excuse me, we rolled up about 16, 17 companies and, um, and basically, you know, quickly became one of the fastest growing companies in the billboard market and probably fastest ever as a startup. And, uh, and then really went on to change as many of the laws as we could. Miami market was a market that we developed from scratch. The Dallas market was a market that we reinvented and basically allowed the digitization, change the laws to allow for large wall murals and public-private partnerships. Really, that's how we were reinventing the marketplace, was, was really focused on public and private. And during my sort of growth period of this, I started to realize that I'm sitting in rooms where it's me and a bunch of old, 70-year-old white male. And, and started to realize as somebody that's, you know, in the 20s, late 20s, I was like, where is everyone in my generation? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where are all the like-minded women and men in my circle? Where are the ethnic groups? Why am, you know, I'm called a Latino. You know, they, nobody ever addressed me by my name, which, you know, I guess it was their way of insulting me. They just always called me the Latino kid, right? And it's like a thousand nicknames, but never who I was. Mm. And it just became, you know, not, not anything else other than just fascinated by the psychology of this sort of corporate marketplace. Now that we are one of the biggest players in the country, you know, how this place operated. And I was like, you know, trying to find where are all the other young entrepreneurs, where are all the like-minded individuals. And um, so I started to get involved, you know, globally, entrepreneur groups, um, Summit Series was one of the you know, first guys you know, in the early days, you know, Nexus Youth Summit, you know, helping, you know, in the early days. And, and you know, we had this G20, G8 young leaders, um, you know, advising governments that the next generation that we, the next generation of young global leaders want to seat at the table. We don't want anything except an opportunity to have a voice in the future that we are going to inherit. You know, as a chairman of the young G8 for a couple of years and, really started to become more and more fixated with the sort of future that we're going to inherit. And why don't we have a say if we're going to, if we're rewriting history? I did it in the billboard marketplace. Zuckerberg did it in this. And these people are doing it elsewhere, mm-hmm. right? You know, and, and the new Bill Gates of tomorrow, 
So why are we more aligned better than Gates's, you know, sort of uh, uh, group of, of companies and all those guys are, you know, sort of from the Windows era. And and then how do we bring these people together? So it just started to, you know, really become more fascinated with that as I was in the billboard space still and newspaper and started to really do a lot of, you know, giving. So as I realized that the power of media also, yep. as I started to see all these billboards and everybody would die to buy our billboards. I mean, you know, oh, Steve Jobs had to approve what we gave him <laughs> and the CEO of this and that. I was just like, wow, you know, how absolutely incredible, right? That these massive powerhouses, like they have to make this decision and, and started to say, wow, what if we actually gave some of this empty inventory to those young leaders? What if we made this young woman and gave her the same access to this inventory, mm-hmm. the same quote-unquote power, so yep. she could build a billion-dollar brand. She mm-hmm. might not build a billion-dollar business, but impact enough people to have a billion dollars worth of impact, right? And, mm-hmm. and really also became like just also super fascinated by that and just started to, I guess, rewire my own DNA. And uh, in 2011, um, you know, I had uh, one of those aha moments at like four o'clock in the morning, woke up in bed and realized that I was in, uh, in the wrong business, <laughs> that I, I needed to transform, I needed to evolve and that um, I needed to exit everything and reinvent myself and focus because what I realized and what I saw at that moment was that I, everything that I did was public private partnerships. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, wow, it's so confusing. You're involved in a hundred things, but what is it that you do? And, but when I dealt with governmental entities, when I dealt with sort of public and private entities, everybody knew what I, I brought to the table. So I was like, wow, how do I start to educate those that don't know and connect those that know with those that don't? And, um, it just became, you know, and I was like, well, how do I do that? And I was like, you know, so in 2011, basically the idea was exit everything and start two verticals. One is focused on the fa- build a foundation that uses media, technology, data, and sort of currencies of the future for good so that we could educate the next generation of impact leaders, entrepreneurs, government leaders on how we could use all these tools and currencies as they are for, for good, right? And then on the, on the other side was, you know, focus on building businesses around public and private partnerships, smart cities, and telecommunications, connectivity, sort of the currencies that are, you know, where big opportunities in business are, but making sure that we have a C model, which is a social impact, economic impact, and environmental impact. Because if we can't see it, then we don't want to be involved in it and really focus on building businesses in that area that we are going to improve people's lives through businesses. And that's what brings me to today. <laughs> there's, so, there's so much that that I want to ask and want to talk about. So the the first thing would be when when you look at smart cities, I, I guess I would imagine when you talk to people in in different countries, right? Smart cities might mean different things just because infrastructure is different around the world. But when you look at a, at a smart city, because that term has has been around for almost like obviously like a decade, probably more than that. But I kind of remember it from you know maybe a decade or so ago, really coming, coming into his own. So what what are, where are smart cities at, at now? Right. And what kind of can we expect 
and, and what what is what is the sort of agenda and the purpose and mission of creating smart cities around the world and and how could that different from right new york city is going to be a different smart city than a place in peru right so what are the what are you seeing right now around the world and, and in america that is positive right and, and it can improve people's people's lives in some way well, here's here's the misnomer of smart cities where smart cities, some people think of it, it's a government thing. Other people mm-hmm. will think of it, it's a telecom thing. And telecoms will always lead you to believe that. Others like IBM will lead you to believe that it's a software thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, but really, when you start to look at what is smart cities mean, smart cities is about people. Smart cities is about the human factor, which is nobody actually talks about. Why? Because there's no commercial value in having a conversation from that context, mm-hmm. right? But that's a fact. It's like you can't change the facts. And what does that mean? That when you start to go backwards and rudimentarily look at smart cities and you say, oh, wow, it is about the people, then it applies with culture. It applies with localization. It applies with geolization, right? Everything which is geophysical associated with that area is going to be completely different. I can't replicate New Jersey with Istanbul, Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not going right. to replicate Melbourne with Sydney. God, they kill each other. Right. So you're you're not going to do these things. So there is no copy paste. That's number one. Right. Number two, it's what's it, the element of actually building smart cities is around proper governance, you know, sort of, you know, symbiotic relationship between different platforms having, in essence, one language. And I imagine a city where. If the technology was a language, which it is, but you know, mm-hmm. using that as a metaphor, right? If the technology was a language, in New York City, there's 1,500 languages. So that's not smart. Why would you <laughs> have technology have 1,500 different languages? So how does one, right? But when we look at it and how we operate in today's world, we want everything to be seamless. The reason why everything has evolved dumb, if you will, is because that's just the evolution of how technology has evolved, right? Nobody wrote in one specific vertical language. Nobody wrote. We just evolved in the way commerce mm-hmm. evolves business in cities and how cities make decisions over years. I mean, the whole element, like when we look at smart cities, is sort of almost like three verticals that we're looking at, <laughs> right? Number one is we're looking at a city and saying, okay, wow, how can we help you get, get your act together? Right. And, and actually looking at all the different pieces and how to help you unwind what you've done, how to help you simplify, how to mm-hmm. move forward, how to help you make sure that you bring in the right data practices. Right. Because data is not an ownership aspect. Data is a custodialship aspect. Right. So then nobody owns it. The people own it. The humans own it. The residents, the citizens, the visitors alike. Right. All those people are the creators of this data that's going to power this city for tomorrow and give them information, tools so that they could build better cities. So that's just one element of educating them on how to bring all these pieces together. The other side of it, it's literally governance policy, right? Where they might have, you know, electricity company, the water company, all the infrastructure that you need to everything from fiber to connectivity to sensors have been given away. So therefore, you know, sort of looking at building out a smart city is going to be cost prohibitive. Why? Because, hey, everything's been given away, right? So it's like, okay, great. How do, you know, then there's all these sort of legal hurdles that you have to sit there and and, and help them either unwind or find an angle or a way around it and how to sort of add another layer of legislature or policy around it so that they can actually build technology stacks on top of 
you know, sort of existing infrastructure, right? And 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 then sort of, and then lastly, are 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 opportunities to get involved in cities where, you know, it's sort of brand new um, opportunities where you know they're writing policy, they're writing, you know, the the master plan, and um, and and you're able to sort of work with them and and give them proper policy guidelines and. And examples so that they can actually build sustainable ecosystems and sustainable by definition of all aspects of from monetary to uh, uh, social to environmental to all of the above. Right. And, and when you can build that from scratch or actually redesign that from scratch, obviously, you'll have the best shot of building something that is the smartest. Right. I think one of the points that you made is, is you know, the, the, there are there is no like real sort of quote unquote smart city. Yeah, you could look at China and some of these other areas, but those are government run. Mm. Is it really a smart city? No, because it's not about the people, it's about the government. Right. When you when you when you're if you talk about smart cities in your definition, what is that utopia for you? Is it a blend of transportate better transportation, better connectivity, uh, better energy sources, whether it's, you know, bitty cities are built on solar. I know there's, you know, a lot of cities around the world that um, are sort of winding themselves off a grid, so to speak, where they kind of create their own energy locally. Is there a certain utopia vision of a smart city that some aspects can be copy and pasted as like a foundation of what a smart city could be? No, I, I, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe in that because I think that it, it's, you know, we believe that, the, you know, just like every human has its own unique fingerprint. So does every city. Mm-hmm. And I think that every city is going to have its own challenges, access to energy, you know, and, and you can't sit there and pitch an environmentalist approach um, when a city might be around an energy plant. Sure. Right. You're not going to, you know, it's about how you're actually consuming the energy, how you're distributing the energy, how you are applying the energy. Um, so I just think that <clears throat> there is no, you know, sort of cookie model, cookie cutter model, except for policy. If you were to say, hey, what is the closest to, you know, putting together some sort of, you know, copy paste cookie cutter, it, it's, it's really the policy, right? Custodianship of data, nobody owns it, no private sector sort of ownership because you'll have that problem and um and 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 sort of you know building out a master plan thesis so that it's an evolutionary you know sort of uh uh, development of the city so if you're looking at it from sort of you know first layer one is the policy framework layer two is the master plan right layer three is how you're actually empowering the financial mechanisms for whether it's bonding or you know sort of uh, 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 private sector led innovation to come in and help develop which is public private partnerships p3s to have private sector p- partners come in and develop it's like you know the evolution of cities as they were as they have been so far but just kind of organize it in a way that it's not adding more cost to the government or to the taxpayers rather if you organize everything and through, you know, sort of thinking master plan thesis rather than I want to get reelected, Toronto, mm-hmm. i.e., hey, we're the smartest city. Cambridge Analytica happens. Toronto's the dumbest city. And, you know, and, and it's like, hey, good job, guys. You know, made such a big deal about it. Now, there you go. Deal with it. And uh, and, and that's kind of, you know, when you start to look at it, a lot of politicians, what they fall you know, subject to is they want to be famous. They want to be the first mm-hmm. Yeah, and they make dumb decisions. I mean, we did a, we did this uh, program in Australia called the future ready, future proofing cities. 
you know, with over a thousand different government leaders and educating them about not giving it up, not giving it away for your own personal agenda. Think long term, think people, and you will win at the end. You know, how to build, you know, sort of future proof cities so that, you know, your own personal agenda doesn't corrupt the value of what the rest of, you know, your fellow uh, uh, co- you know, mayors will inherit. What are some of the when you're sitting in the room, what are some of the the roadblocks that you see? I mean, traditional government is pretty slow, right, to innovate. And, and to have different approaches because, you know, they're going to look at it from their election cycle, right? How is this going to affect voters and things like that, right? Their agenda might be a little different um, from yours. So what, what are some of, because I, I think we, if you, I, Cambridge Analytica keeps coming up here, right? But a lot of, when you look at the Senate hearings around Facebook, right? And that issue, it became very sad to me like i was depressed watching that because you could tell that they didn't understand what was happening right they didn't understand facebook's even business model right it's like so it was very deflating right because look i mean for every too yeah for for everything embarrassment it it, it really like i'll never forget that day just because it was like these are like the people running our country in this and in some areas the even the world and it's like they don't understand how the biggest platform in the world even works how they make no. money and 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 so it was like how can how can we turn these same people to build innovative cities right or or to use blockchain in in a social impact right in, in the correct way right like so it became all these different questions that I had it's like wow this is this is a really devastating blow to Mm-hmm. the potential of cities and countries and the future of all these different dynamics that are going to happen if they can't even get this, this right. Right. It, it's, it's well, so I mean, that, one, that was, one, one thing is thank God Congress and Senate aren't running our cities because that would just be an absolute you sure. know, cluster F, but they allocate uh, money though, you know, to these cities. Yeah, of course, too. They, but, but yes and no. I mean, you know, through the federal, you know, that's more to the States. Sure. Right. And to the counties. And, and that's, you know, Congress and Senate. But I mean, you know, to, to your point, it, 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 it absolutely look as an American. It was an embarrassment to watch to, to, to watch this. You're right. To watch our Senate, you know, leaders and, and our congressional leaders and, and, and looking at, you know, how they were questioning in a line of questioning. And it was just like, you know, the average Facebook user knows more about this stuff than these people that were up there you know, running these subcommittee hearings and, um, and the lawyers were walking circles around them. And of course it's, it, it, it's, you know, to the extent, you know, that's why, you know, it, it's, you need, I think now that's why a lot of what we talk about is cities and, 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 and even federal governments, we work with a lot of federal governments is they need to have, you know, sort of a, a, a seat at the table. They need to know what they're giving away. They need to understand right. what they need to focus on the people, which is why they were elected. Right. You were elected not to you know, figure out how you become famous. You were elected to actually do your job. Right. And if you're going to do the job, this is what you need to think about. If you don't want to do the job, then that's fine. But at least, you know, this is what you need to think about. And I think that, you know, look, it, it, it's, you know, Silicon Valley has done an incredible job of, you know, building an incredible you know, business out of data and out of 
you know, sort of this, this future that we live in, but it doesn't mean it's the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And you see Europe with GDPR and all the laws that are changing in Europe. And, uh, and basically in Europe, they're, they're, they're looking at the colonization of the West and, uh, and, 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 you know, and it's like, the, so they're concerned about the practices of American companies. I mean, you're, you're starting to see a divide on, you know, business practices and how governments address that. Is there any, are there any cities doing it well that you can point to and say, let's look at, look at this city and, and what they've done from what they were to what they are now, you know, using technology, um, using innovation to, to support their local people in a positive way? No, I, look, I, I think there are. There are a lot. I mean, look, at one, one of the great things about, you know, we've had the pleasure of working with the Australian government for, for many years. You know, they're looking at environmental. They're very focused on every aspect of as much as they can. Right. I mean, there are cities like, you know, governments like Singapore who mm-hmm. are also very keen on, 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 you know, Singaporean government business models. It's a very fascinating one. Right. It's just like they, they, they run it like a business. Yep. Um, and, and they do well, they pay their people well, there's zero corruption. So why would you give up a job that pays you 400 grand a year? And so, you know, it's, uh, you know, well, well sort of run machine. I think that there are a lot of smaller, and we want to get into the small, smaller cities that are up and coming and becoming, I think we're not going to start to see, uh, to answer your question, we'll start to see those results, I think, in, in, in this coming sort of decade of smart cities, because we are in sort of the first decade. And uh, we're now, you know, blockchain starting to play a role and, and data is now front and center. Who owns it? Who's controlling it? What are you doing with it? How do we benefit from it? How can we make better decisions, better informed decisions? You know, how do we better improve our policy? How do we update our policy? So I think we'll start to see a lot more examples and sort of the original early on leaders like Barcelona, who added bikes and smart trash cans and smart, you know, mobility, you know, are now kind of ancient, right? Because there's so much more innovation happening, but everybody's doing it in their own unique way. I mean, the thing about smart cities is there's so many solutions, right? That there is almost, you know, a hundred different ways to enter yep. that conversation, mm-hmm. right? So I think that, you know, a lot of, you know, where we get involved is when people start to look at it from the master plan and the broader sort of top code looking down perspective. But, you know, mo- most cities, and the good thing about it is, there's so much information out there that, you know, cities don't need to, you know, spend a lot of money. You know, the goal is for everybody to just be able to do it on their own, that they don't need to hire a company, but actually have best practices. We worked a lot with the UN on building a centers of excellence around this, right, of have best practices so they at least know what, you know, best practices are and how you develop this and how do you, how do you actually make sure that you leave no one behind. Because I think one of the most important parts that we look at and one of the things I really am super passionate about is that I believe that vis-a-vis this evolution of sort of connecting cities and connecting infrastructure, digital infrastructure around the world in our cities, our counties, our states, our regions, and our countries, is that we have finally, once in the history of evolution and technology revolution, whatever you want to call it, right, is we have an opportunity to actually focus on leaving no one behind, Right. And and that to me is paramount in this evolution of smart cities because nobody's thinking about that. Everybody's thinking about where can I make the most amount of money? 
Right. Where can I save the most amount of money from the city's perspective? Or where can I create the most value so I could take a win? But then we're creating digital divides that are literally in today's era, destroying populations. And, and mm-hmm. so because you have the haves and haves nots and, and, and that in a digital world is, is worse than it was over the last hundred years. And, and, and so leaving no one behind is an imperative of smart cities. Again, when you had these conversations with the United Nations or federal governments, local governments, what are some of the biggest issues or ping points that they face that they want to try to solve with innovation, with technology, all these different, like you said, there's so many different ways to to do something better. <laughs> is it what are, is it climate change? Is it transportation? Like, what are cities trying to figure out that? is maybe the number one, number two, number three issue for them that they are facing? Well, I, I think it, it, when, when you're looking at a city, right, it, it's again, it's, it's, a, it's if you were to compare it to anything, it's a business. Mm-hmm. So what are they looking at for economic drivers to improve their cities, right? To create more population health, if you, economic health, right? To create better, you know, sort of cost savings to, to so that their people can benefit from it. I think that, you know, the beauty about humanity is that we're all proud where we came from, where we live, our countries yep. we represent, the sports right. that we follow. And, and so a lot of these governments are just trying to, you know, really appease and, and, and you know, populism at an all-time rise. And, and they just want to make their people happy and give them products that are local, right? We've, we've gotten too global where there's five companies that control, you know, all the distribution of products around the world. And it's just mm-hmm. like, well, what happened to the mom and pop? So I think that we're seeing that a lot more. It's not being talked about or celebrated, but that's a lot of what we're seeing. And I think that, you know, when they're looking at what is it to focus on, the most pragmatic thing is cost savings or adding value to your economy, right? Number one. Number two, embracing a conversation like smart cities as a focus of driving more innovation with the universities, the educational programs, and empowering the youth that they too could be Sergey Brin, that they too could be, you know, uh, uh, Bill Gates, and they too could build a Facebook out of, you know, Cairo and, uh, and how to actually make that available to them so that that innovation is born out of that country, city, state, region, what have you, town. And, uh, and I think that obviously in, you know, climate and all these things are all, you know, sort of, uh, important issues. But, but when you look at it, when you go into a city or, or any government local or national, it's um, it's a day to day, right? They 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 still have to run a city, right? They still have to manage people. They still have to run processes. They still have to collect taxes. They still have to, you know, pay bills. We mentioned blockchain a little bit earlier, <laughs> and and I kind of wanted to to get into it a little bit because it's such a massive massive shift in our thinking. So what has when you found the, you founded the blockchain commission for sustainable development. So there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of keywords there that, that I really love. <laughs> so what, what is that, what is that mission and, and what drives that to, to make an impact around the world through transactions? Well, the blockchain commission for sustainable development was a, was, was a vision that was, you know, ideated between uh, Amir Dosal 
who we, was the, uh, the original uh, head of uh, partnerships at the, at the UN, the UN Office of Partnerships, mm-hmm. who actually helped facilitate bringing Ted Turner's billion-dollar donation into the, to support the United Nations uh, infrastructure, number one. And, uh, and him, my, uh, myself, and this other gentleman by the name of uh, Vince Molinari, who, uh, who basically runs a firm called Templum and Fifth Element Group and a few other uh, uh, platforms that he's involved in. And a lot of what we saw was how do we actually bring innovation from the blockchain sector to support governmental agendas? Because again, as you could, you've heard me speak already, right? What do we want to do is we want to help these government leaders figure out how to use this innovation that is already there, right? So what we became, I personally became really sort of fixated and passionate about was, wow, here's an opportunity with blockchain where now it's not just the elite creating companies or those that have mm-hmm. money or come from Silicon mm-hmm. Valley or Silicon Alley or Bujarat or wherever the, the hub of these, you know, sort of entrepreneur leaders are, but rather here's somebody that could actually grab code and actually build something locally. Mm-hmm. And now they're building. And, and if you look at the blockchain space, it's, it's not the same actor. It's not, mm-hmm. uh, um, Mm-hmm. whatever peter thiel's fund and a bunch of these other groups it's like all these brand new actors from all over the world right switzerland all of a sudden became a major hub the ukraine's got all the you know the programmers you have uh, uruguay paraguay argentina yep. mexico africa leading the charge like crazy asia like you know cambodia and everyone else is like literally coming out of nowhere with all these like you know super innovators and it's just like to me that was just like so absolutely fascinating and saying, wow, well, why don't we build a platform so that we could actually connect these young innovators, not as companies, mm-hmm. not as companies, mark my words, but <laughs> as innovators, right? Celebrate the human so that then we could connect the human to government sectors and governmental agencies and government you know, needs and say, hey, um, you know, John Smith and Michelle Smith, let me connect you to a government that needs your help, but they can't engage you as a company. So you're not going to get business from them, but we could actually put you together so that you could help them innovate. We could bring in your brain, your IP and your passion and desire to help make this world a better place to, you know, a, 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 an island country like Marshall Islands or government like Liechtenstein or, you know, in, uh, or Uganda and, and governments that we work with. And, and actually connect the innovator with the leader and give them the opportunity to launch pilots and, and really drive innovations around the sustainable development goals, really, because the idea is, is these governments are trying to improve their countries, but they don't have access to innovators. And every time someone comes there, they're trying to charge the money, which means they have mm. to run an RFP process, and then it's not impact. It's a business. And then therefore, you know, you lose the essence of actually solving a human problem, actually solving issues that could make and drive humanity forward. So by, you know, understanding how public and private works, we, we figured that creating the Blockchain Commission for Sustainable Development was really kind of a little bit of a copy out of the Broadband Commission for Sustainable Development. And the Broadband Commission has been around for about 10 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's an absolutely incredible platform that is has some of the best leaders in the telecom world focused on how connectivity in, you know, is a human right and right. how do we actually bring that as part of the sustain, you know, sustainable development goals and, and actually drive that forward. So 
you know, it wasn't like, you know, we invented the wheel. We just found a new industry vertical and found an industry vertical association sort of platform that works and added our own sort of seasoning, if you will, and, and, and launched it at, at the UN uh, during the General Assembly at the Media Zone and really with the focus of, of bringing this IP and innovation and innovators to UN member states. Do you see, so you, I mean, obviously your work in, in smart cities and, and your work in the blocks, blockchain commission, they kind of go hand in hand because it seems like really progressive smart cities and really ones that can have the type of impact that, that you want to have. Most likely a lot of their infrastructure should be built on blockchain <laughs> or is it too, or is it still too young in its in its age where blockchain could could take on the ability to you know to build an entire smart city infrastructure on top of it? You know, it's that's an it's a great question, and 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 it's not about being built on, right? Because I think that you know with. What, what, what yeah exactly with because it's. I think what's fascinating about blockchain, I don't subscribe to crypto, just FYI. Right. Um, absolutely. I think pretty much 90% against it. Um, and, um, and, and, but, but there is with blockchain, what blockchain brings about, at least in a sort of basic evolution of what blockchain has become is transparency, mm-hmm. right? For the most part. And governments want transparency, but they don't have the means Right. People are what creates the greatest amount of error and whether by purpose or not. And, and I think that, you know, when you're looking at governments, they're all just trying to, you know, streamline, make things easier, faster, need transparency, need technologies, need platforms. And I think when you start to look at, you know, how and where blockchain has become and where it's going, that's just it, it, it's almost like a, a breath of fresh air to be able to, you know, at least bring that into the governmental sector. The problem that we're trying to solve with what we're doing, which is what we, we saw immediately, was that folks in the blockchain space need governmental sectors, right? But the problem was that they all saw it as an opportunity to become billionaires. Mm. So our job, we found it, we made it our job. It wasn't our job, but I say our job because it, it, it's become our job de facto is defend the governmental side of things and actually educate everybody that that's wrong. You're not going to become rich by partnering with government. You're actually going to help make a better world mm-hmm. and, uh, and stop thinking that way because you're being Silicon Valley. And, uh, and let, let us help you, you know, think about this in a more impactful way. And God, if you help solve a problem, then I hope you get contracted for life. But if you're not framing this properly, if you're not in there to actually do good and help, then you know, then then you're not going to be you're not going to be able to get anything done, and and we've just been educating folks because it's not you know that's why I went back to not built on but with mm-hmm. because right. like anything else trust is built over time. The biggest problem that the you know the blockchain community has is lack of trust, although it's trust based. Why? Because most people that got into it wanted to be rich. So how do we trust that he's he or she is going to be here tomorrow? Right. That's the biggest problem that a government has, which is how do I know that they're going to be here? Right. Sergio, you just introduced me to somebody. What if they're right. gone tomorrow? Good point. The promise, yeah. the promise that we have to them was because of our platform, don't worry. 
as if God forbid something does happen, we will have a solution for you so you can count on us. Right. So there we're bridging. We're literally bridging and, and being the blockchain ourselves. We're blockchaining ourselves and adding that ledger. We are the ledger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you <Right. know>? and, <laughs> and giving them that peace and comfort that if god forbid that person goes through whatever whatever you know it might not be on, on their own doing but their company doesn't survive what happens and and our commitment to these governments is that we'll help them figure out how to you know engage the next 2.0 of that person's innovation but there's always a lot of fear of, of engaging especially new private sector remember government doesn't like private sector period Right now, we're bringing in brand new people that have barely any background, but mm-hmm. have the greatest technology and innovation, and put together the smartest minds in the world. So that's an ma- amazing, just literally a juxtaposition of, of, you know, both want to go forward, but both are on opposite sides of the <laughs> idealism of of what they believe in and how they operate. When going back to your to your not so fondness of of crypto, how when it, when you first when it first sort of came to prominence, were there were, were there hopefulness for you? Did you look at it as a positive thing? And, you know, maybe like a lot of other things, once something blows up and then you have people come in that want to make it a commodity and want to trade it on markets and then want to make money off of it. Is that when your, your dislike came from it? Um, or was it right when it came out, the idea of it, you just didn't like and think that, it would be a positive thing on the world? Um, it's a great question. I mean, I, I think that the element of tokenization is fascinating. Yeah. Right? Because, the, the you know, as I told you earlier, you know, this uh, um, uh, about a half hour ago, um, when I talked about, you know, we started the foundation, we started on the element of, you know, media is a new currency for impact. Right. So the reason why we also got a lot of attention from the crypto slash token slash blockchain community was we were talking currencies way before any of these guys were. Right. But we weren't tokenizing it. We weren't uh, cryptoizing it. We were just executing. We were getting things done. Right. And uh, and actually saying, hey, I'll give you a million dollars worth of media and you, uh, you know, to this foundation and you get the opportunity to be the lead person to work with uh, the president of the United States and support his agenda, blah, blah, blah. We were just swapping literally like, hey, right. give us the space. And we were just swapping assets, meaning like, hey, get to hang out and work with the UN this. And, uh, and, and, and is no money ever transpired. So we believe in that element of, of currencies, right? And I think that because when you start to do it for good, then money never needs to swap. I mean, if you think about it, money is just a means of how we transact, right? But what if I, you know, our ideals were aligned? So when I looked at the evolution of, of, of blockchain and crypto and everything, I, was, I, I, I thought that there would be a way that people would do this for good, 100%, but I've seen nothing but bad actors <laughs> and, and everybody just trying to be rich. Right. And, and, and it's like the moment you're poisoned with the fact that you could become rich with something, then you've lost your focus. Right. It's just, you know, Mike, you, you possibly could have if you had your heart aligned properly. But the fact that they didn't, they just went down this entire rabbit hole. And I think the entire industry did. And even those that are trying to do it 
for good, they won't be able to raise money unless they sort of bastardize their model uh, in the other direction because they won't be able to raise any capital. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's all how the capital markets are leading it and how, you know, the industry itself has evolved. Do I think that there is a future in sort of tokenization? I mean, look, American Express rewards points, call them tokens, call them reward points. Right. There's already a living, breathing market. The points guy, the points guy is on Facebook every day telling you how to use all your points. You know, those are tokens, right? They're points. You go to a casino and I buy tokens, (laughs) you know, and chips, whatever you want to call them. So the world already is is existing in that. I think blockchain, you know, allows you to sort of create, you know, in a smart city space, we've looked at models where, you know, again, not crypto, but looking at how you value someone's, like I use, I go back to the American Express model say, hey, what if, you know, you spend a lot of time in this restaurant, you go to this place in a smart city. How do we actually celebrate local leaders right. and local heroes and local spenders? If I know that you are going to XYZ restaurant every week, and on top of that, thanks to blockchain, I know that you bring in 10 new customers to our restaurant. Now they've signed up and I know who they are. Now they've all come in the next following year. They've come 20 times to our restaurant and you were the first person that brought them to us. Right. Why, you know, I should be able to reward you, you know, in some point system, token system to allow you to benefit. And because you are you're better than marketing dollars. Right. Because you brought in, a, you know, a, 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 if I look at the tr- at the tree of your network, you brought in 100 people. Thanks yeah. to you. bringing you became, a, you one became night. an affiliate, you know, you exactly. A- Literally, yeah. literally. Thank yeah. you. That was the word I was looking for. Yeah, yeah, you, be- yeah. You, you, you became an affiliate and, and you've literally made the restaurant, you know, you, you even know it, $100,000. So is the restaurant right. going to be happy giving you a $500 food coupon so you could do this all over can every I, can day? I take it even Can I take it even a step higher and say that the city has access and, and understand through, through maybe something that's built on blockchain and they have access to your economic value, right? What you spend. In exactly. Literally. And, exactly. Then, and then, and then do I then get a tax break a little bit? If I bring. Exactly. A yeah, you're economic. a major producer. Exactly. Right. You're right. an economic producer to that. It changes the dynamic. I mean, that's when I get excited. Yeah. Right? I'm excited now. Right. It changes the dynamic of behavior in a local community. You know, that 70 percent stats are for the most part in America. I can't speak about the rest of the world. 70 percent of people don't leave their city. Mm. So, you know, like, you know, remember growing up back in the day, hey, my uncle knows the restaurant owner there. You know, my my sister goes to this place all the time, so she'll get us a table. Right. It's like that. We grew up. Yeah, already sure. in that environment. Hey, go to this bakery shop because mm-hmm. they always take care of us. Right? Like we're a bigger world now. We're more connected. And that is that that essence has been lost, right? Because we've gotten so big, that small community element, right? But it still exists. It's just that, you know, we need better ways of actually celebrating that. And that's where, again, going back to the question, that's where I think, you know, the element of quote unquote tokenization or some way. But not to create a new currency, right? To create right. a way to celebrate people, mm-hmm. right? To give back to people, to better engage them. What if, you know, your nephew says, oh, my God, now I know that if I create loyalty, which, again, drives human 
you know, psychology forward in a positive way. Hey, loyalty means rewards. Hey, you know, wow. Hey, I'm going to keep going to the same restaurant. We always support the same restaurant. We keep bringing more friends because we also get rewarded. Right. It's the almost last, gamification, right? It's a little it, bit no, of gamification. It's 100%, 100% it is what it is. It, that is what it is, except it's actually gamification for some sort of purpose, right? Not yeah. to get more points in some fruit game or something on your iPhone. In real it's life. Actually, yeah, it's actually real life that, I mean, look, me me and my wife go, we go out of our way to like spend money, you know, in our local radius, right? At local restaurants and all these, yeah. because we want to, that helps our local economy and our city. So when we have terrible potholes that need to be fixed, right? Like we're spending our money here. So we hope that, you know, there's, there's yeah, stuff in the, the economy, our streets to, to do these certain things. And, and uh, if there's somehow where we can use um, blockchain technology to build like a city type reward system, I think is, that's a game changer. I think that is like a beautiful thing that is something that I think everybody can get behind, right? Whatever. Uh, totally. You're, you're absolutely. On, there's but not then a what issue. is the currency that travels through there? Data. Right. right? Sure. Literally. Of course. Data. That, yep. It's that information of knowing how you and your wife went there. And by the way, hey, you know, you, we might recommend this other place, blah, 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 right? And it's like we're a huge, huge fan of the sort of central monetary system of data per se, right? Understanding the data is the new gold, right? Mm-hmm. And how do we actually help cities quantify? That's a project that we're working on now is sort of looking at the central – I say monetary because that's a, that's a common understood value. But it's a central mechanism of managing data – for you know empowering cities and that is i mean that is exactly what you're saying because not only that but hey you've invested let's just say you know fast forward over the last 10 years in your city you've put three million dollars to work that you could have taken anywhere else right right? 300 grand a year that's you're you're probably top one percent of your city that's keeping the money local You are a local hero. Literally, you are a pillar of your community. Like we, as I say, you know, the mayor says, we cannot do, we need more of you, right? To be living in this city, to actually value our city so much that you invest. And by the way, how do we reward you? Today, they can't do that. Mm. And that, how long, how far do you think that's away? <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> my, my, my fiance and I, we always, I, I live downtown Wall Street, New York. And, and even when we're in Europe or in Spain now, Marbella, and it's like wherever we go, last night we went to a local place, right? Went to this local place that we didn't even know existed, local little Italian restaurant. You couldn't sure. even figure it out. The entrance was sort of small. Uh, that, those are the best spots. Oh my God, dude, this was like a haven. We're like, it was just, and by the way, the manager comes up, we walked in, we thought we were at a wedding by mistake because we're such old school Italian. The piano players, the tables had numbers on them and you grabbed the number and you sat down. It was like for old people, right? And and it wasn't, it was just an old school place. And we went there and it was like, the guy was like, oh my God, 
you know, as I come here, we're talking to them, and it wasn't like we, we don't, God, we wouldn't even spend any amount of money. We just got a couple of dishes, and that was it. Sure. They treated us like, like I felt like I was back in the 50s, where actually people gave a crap about you, right? And it was just so cool. And, and it was like, wow, and that's what we keep doing. We're in Spain. We'll go and check out all these new places, and all of a sudden find these places. We're like, oh, my God, we have to come back here at least once a month. You know, right. and, 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 and the same thing in, in where we live in downtown Wall Street. Downtown Wall Street was underwater, right? South Street Seaport, because of Sandy, was completely destroyed. And now finally, mm-hmm. South Street Seaport is back. And, and it's like all these new shops. And so we're getting down there anytime we can. You know, we made it a commitment 2019 to be more present in our community, right in our hyper local community and and you know it, it's uh it's it's amazing and especially kind of hey you know talking to the people that own it because i feel like we're all now the same age right this whole new generation of people opening up restaurants are between 30s and 40s and uh and you're more relatable too that is our that is the next big step now we need to create smart city rewards some type of some type of thing to where you know, people are rewarded for spending money locally. Man, that's that's so awesome. Okay, the last thing I, I want to ask is because it's look, we always talk about young people and how obviously the next generation is is uber important on on a lot of these different topics that we're talking about. You're on the advi- the data advisory board at Rutgers University. What is talked about during these meetings? Right? What do you see? from a university level, because there's, look, a lot of universities can be a lot like governments, right? They can be very slow to innovate. Their curriculum might be almost a decade behind of actually what's going on in, in cities, right? And and how their students can get employed and the skills that they have when they leave universities. Do you see universities innovating, innovating more in this space as well and preparing young people to implement these these great visions that that we're trying to share today? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, the reason, uh, you know, I was asked to sit on that, on that uh, board is because, you know, we're doing a lot of work with the UN on the SDG Data Hub. So we're, we're helping build out mm-hmm. over the last couple of years the SDG Data Hub. And the whole goal with the SDG Data Hub is that we give young people access to information. You know, if somebody wants to invest and help out young women under 18 in war-torn areas, sub-Saharan Africa, where birth rates are high. Do you know where mm-hmm. to find that information? You'll never nope. find it, by the way. Nope. <laughs> uh, absolutely never. But that's the new generation of, of Gen Zs, right? They call themselves Gen Zen, right? They're more purpose-driven. They're more focused. They want more info, right? But when you start to look at the, the sort of digital divide, if you will, if I may use that word again, but it's not really, but it's a divide of those that are data-driven and almost like the the, the, the Gen Xers who are not right and 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 they've grown up in a different although we're only two generations away it's completely different worlds right when you look at a university like Rutgers University they're saying well where the future of data is the future marketplace right that is the next trillion dollar economy but it's got a heart it's got a soul it's got it's got information it's got DNA and then where's that future going everything from defense right all the way across to impact right mm-hmm. both sides of this this is you know again data is now going to become one of the most important powerful industries in the world because without how we manage this information data is garbage unless you know how to run it operate it manage it disseminate it and uh and and and, and understand it and listen to it 
which nobody likes to do, <laughs> right? And, 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 and so, because it's telling us something. It's telling us something that we might not have seen, might not have known, might not have learned. And, and I think it's just fascinating for me to be involved and just to bring in what I'm learning. I'm no expert by any means. I'm just an entrepreneur. I'm a crazy guy. I jump into empty pools and then fill it up with water, right? <laughs> so it's just, you know, it, it, it's, I get involved in these things because I'm just a crazy guy that gets involved, right? And, and, and because I believe in change and I believe in changes by doing, not changes by waiting. And, um, and, and so, you know, they, they were fascinated by my background and asked me to please help them, you know, connect them to things that are going on at the UN, connect them to, you know, leaders in this space, connect them to other folks that are, you know, uh, uh, leading the conversation on data. And, you know, and I was very clear to them. I said, I am not a data expert by any means. And they're like, well, you're doing a lot more than most experts. And, uh, you know, I like to, I'm a very humble guy and I like to be straightforward and honest. And they were like, no, no, we are interested in having you help us because they really want to grow the data program at, at Rutgers. But Rutgers is not the only university. There's hundreds of universities and colleges, not only across America, but across the world that are looking at the future of data. Right. And how does that, you know, where is that new economy, that new economic driver of, you know, businesses? You know, where does data fall? Is it in the software application side of things? Is it in the governmental side of things? Is it in the policy side? It really cuts across it all, as I said before. So it's kind of like, you know, I think we're still in those sort of early years of, of what this industry will become. But if, you know, data itself as a privatized asset vis-a-vis -vis Silicon Valley has created a trillion-dollar economy, multi-trillion, I'm sorry, Microsoft just hit a trillion, right? So we'll call it a, I don't even know, pick a number, four, five, six trillion-dollar economy, you know, from the U.S. alone. And imagine once the world's data is actually mined, and what does that mean? Well, you know, blockchain is nothing without data, right? Right, And validating the data is That's the most blood. important part. Yeah, exactly. That's its blood. But right now, the data sets are poor at best. So what are we building on? Wrong info. Like, what does mm -hmm. that bring us? That could be damaging. So, I mean, exactly, exactly. So I think the universities is, are really scratching their heads and seeing, wow, you know, evolution is happening, but yet the basis of the facts are not there yet, right? And how do we validate that? And where's the research, you know, institutions like Rutgers are known for their research and their analytics, and they were the ones producing the valuable data. Now they've been left behind, mm. right? So now they're all trying to play catch up and at the same time creating courses that are doing, one of the things that we're doing with the, with the Rutgers program is, is creating continuing education and, and master's programs in data so that people could come and actually get, get up to speed and bring people into the data economy. And I think that's one of the, the, the big agendas they're very focused on is really kind of, you know, advancing the educational aspect of it so that, you know, uh, uh, we could create more executive leadership and more education around it. Yeah, I think the what you said, I think was, was great that they're doing is that sometimes too many experts is a bad thing, right? Yeah. I mean, you need experts in fields, of course, but the, the best sort of creativity comes when you have a blend of experts and then people who are new to the field, because they're going to look at it from a totally different perspective. Um, and that happens a lot with companies when you're in the weeds every day, you don't really, you might not see some of the problems or some of the holes you're missing, right, to, to grow. And 
I think yeah. they're they're smart by by having people from you know maybe experts in other fields right come in and say hey take a look at this from your bird's eye perspective and 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 give your take on it because then that opens up a whole new world that that those quote unquote experts right might not have seen because they're just so in the weeds yeah. of this one particular thing they don't know how to look out the box with that one particular thing no 100 percent, exactly i mean that's relevant to most industries right yeah. but you're right especially now as things are evolving so quickly if you don't have one head out and one what yeah you know, one sure. eye out and one eye in you're 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 for sure being passed by something <laughs> and and someone's over innovating so i mean that, that the great part about that is innovation is is accelerating at speeds that we can't even comprehend and 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 at the same time we need to bring the rest of people up to speed which is why educational programs are key yep well thank you so much sergio um this was i love having conversations like this like this is what motivates me and and wakes me up in the morning is having um conversations like this is of what how all the technology and innovation that we are seeing nowadays is how can we rein it in right and make it work for the benefit of humanity rather than the benefit of a few who want to commoditize it and just make billions of dollars off of it. There's still a place where you can do both. I think where you can make money, but for the benefit of humanity, um, that's, that's how I look at the world. And I know I'm yes. an optimist. It, I'm the optimist in, in that, but, uh, but Listen, I think no, that all Gen Z's, that's what they care about is, you know, you're, you're, I'm telling you the brands of yesterday won't, won't exist if they don't, if they don't update themselves with purpose, it, it, it's all Gen Z. This is what everybody's freaking out in corporate America, corporate globally, <laughs> is saying, we don't know what they want. And I'm like, they do. It's very easy. They want you to build good businesses, have yeah. a conscious, have a purpose, and they'll spend all their money, trillions of dollars of it's passing hands really to this new purchasing. You know, you have one of your companies that you talk about the power of purchasing for good, right? And and I yep. mean, you're, you're, you're on the money, pun intended. Right. The, right. The, the element of the purchasing power is going to change the brands of tomorrow, like it or not. I say this all the time and I know people who listen to this will always roll their eyes again because I say it too many times. But the way we use our purchasing power and our consumerism is much more powerful than how we vote. And yes. once people understand well, we that are. we're voting every day by what we buy. It, and, but once I think people really understand of the power in it, I think a massive shift will will occur in industry and in commerce that will have the biggest impact the world has ever seen because that that's how it occurs through through our purchasing power and through business and through the brands we support are just as important as the, as the causes we support. Yeah. You know, so so once we all get more educated and I have just as much education and for myself that I need to do too. Um, but once we all keep thriving toward that, um, discovery and education about a lot of this stuff, I think that's where the power of, of us as individuals can have a massive impact every day. Yeah. And, 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 and each, each week, each month, each year, we're getting closer and closer to, you know, sort of a more balanced, uh, uh, you know, conversation in that path for sure. And I think that's what makes it exciting as an entrepreneur and as someone that is in the impact community. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Um, have a great day. Have a great week.